Rinkwide Vancouver. The Canucks defeat the New York Islanders 4-3 in overtime. What a night. What a night. We are here to break it all down. It is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's a presentation of Betway. It's Jeff Patterson along with Matt Sakaris. And boy, do we have a lot to dig into as the Canucks dug themselves an early hole, but helped by a power play that's been red hot all season and was red hot again in this one. The Canucks claw their way back. They get on even terms. And then the captain comes through on a night that the old captain was the focal point of this hockey game. And of course, uh, we'll talk a lot about Bo Horvat as this night goes along. But Quinn Hughes puts the dagger in the Islanders, the overtime winner, 4-3 the final. The Canucks have won back-to-back, 7-8. of eight. And Matt, at 12-3-1, we're talking about the top team in the NHL's Western Conference. An extraordinary statement, Jeff, given that Vegas was undefeated out of the shoot. I mean, won their first 10 hockey games. Crazy, crazy um, times here in Vancouver. The franchise's best ever start. And to be sitting there first in the West, having three players tied for the lead in NHL points, Pedersen, Miller, and Hughes, having Brock Besser tied for the NHL lead in goals. Of course, uh, Hughes leads all the defensive categories, plus minus as well. So, you know, the dream continues here for Rick Talkin and the Vancouver Canucks. They erased two, two goal deficits in this hockey game, which is saying something because, you know, at, you're down Carson Soucy. Mark Friedman leaves this game in the second period, so you're down a defenseman. He does eventually return, but you're down a defenseman. And then, of course, Kuzmenko takes that scary puck in the face, and you're still able to convert that five-on-three. And, oh, by the way, it's the guy who stepped in for Andre Kuzmenko, <laughs> Philip Ronick, with a hell of a shot for his first-ever Vancouver Canuck goal. And extends his uh, point streak now to 11 games and getting into some lofty company there. Right. He's matched Dennis Kearns for the franchise record for longest point streak by a defenseman at 11 games and showing no signs of slowing down, although there was a little drama there. You even mentioned to me as we were watching the third period, Heronix's point streak in jeopardy here. And then, boy, did he put the hammer down on the five on three, tied the game. And then the Canucks kind of looked like they were pretty happy with themselves for coming back and tying this game. And for a six or eight minute stretch there, the Islanders pushed, couldn't get uh, the go-ahead goal. And then in overtime, you just talk about a guy that is exuding confidence. And confidence has never been an issue for Quinn Hughes, but the way that he's playing, did you have any doubt, Matt, no. that he was going to pull the trigger and score no, the winner? Hell of a pass to spring him there from JT Miller, who is exceptional on the power play. In this game, we'll talk about that line at even strength here as the show goes on. Canucks went 10 minutes without a shot, Jeff. Yeah. After scoring that equalizing goal, and they still finished the game with, is it 40? 43. 43. Yeah. I'm sitting here looking at my notes at all the different New York Islanders who had chances when the game was tied at three. Ryan Pollock with a great shot, a turnover, and a Really bad one by Thatcher Demko. He has to scramble back into the crease, legs ajar, and makes a save on Kyle Palmieri. Oliver Wallstrom has basically a tap-in in front until Quinn Hughes lifts his stick and prevents disaster at the last minute. Ian Cole pulls one off the line with <laughs> Anders Lee stalking and making up for what was a miserable first period. For Ian Cole, and then Barzell right in front. Aho hits a crossbar. Mayfield with a tip that just misses, and even Kyle Palmieri with another opportunity. So 
yeah, the late stages were holding off an Islanders team that probably feels like they deserve to win this game, or at least felt at 3-1 and 2-0 that they would be winners of this hockey game. And then, you know, once we got to the overtime, you know, give the Vancouver Canucks credit, they were the more dangerous side and eventually got the goal. And so they should have really on the balance of talent, top-end talent, these two lineups can throw out there. I mean, Matt Barzell can beat you, obviously. Ebo Horvat would have loved to have authored that story. He scored once, and wouldn't that have been something if he had been the guy to score the overtime winner? But when the Canucks can roll out Hughes and Miller and Besser and Patterson, normally you would have Kuzmenko at their disposal, but they didn't. But Connor Garland is going these days, and he got an opportunity. Uh, Beauvillier, the former Islander, McKay have got a shift in overtime. So the depth of the Vancouver Canucks. But ultimately, it is their star power that comes through as it has so many nights and I mean we'll spend a lot of time talking about the night and the day for Bo Horvat but it was the Canucks star power that spoiled the return to Rogers Arena for Horvat it has to feel like a missed opportunity for the Islanders they don't score very much and they get three on the road and as you said had leads of two nothing and three to one but really this game turned on one shift for Andre Kuzmenko, where he draws not one, but two penalties in the same sequence. I mean, you almost never see that. It was the second time this season the Canucks have had a five-on-three. The other one was Saturday in Toronto, where they were abysmal for 23 seconds. It was 23 of the—I mean, it wasn't a great night for them in Toronto, but that was 23 of the, the worst seconds of that hockey game. They were just completely out of sorts on a power play that's been so good for this team— they got it right this time around. It took them a little while, but ultimately they worked the puck and Heronic with the big shot. But uh, also a story in that was JT Miller with a big shot that got up high on Andre Kuzmenko. And boy, he went down in a hurry, had to be helped off the ice. Some real concern there. Credit to Bo Horvat. He was there uh, lending some support for a former teammate uh, as they all kind of gathered. Uh, but everybody hoping the best for Andre Kuzmenko because, as you mentioned, the Canucks... Uh, Carson Soucy, we learned, out six to eight weeks. P.S. Suter didn't play. That was a bit of a surprise. Mark Friedman left the game, but he did return here. You know, those players are all considered depth guys to varying degrees, but the injury bug hasn't taken a bite out of any of the stars, the Vancouver Canucks, and let's hope that somehow Andre Kuzmenko is able to escape any kind of serious injury. It was good news that Kuzmenko was able to skate off at, on his own, as you said, assisted by the trainer there who had the towel up in his face. It was awfully scary when he goes down that quickly and starts kicking his legs like that. There was eventually blood spotted at the collar of his jersey and on his face shield. And you made a good point as we were sitting here watching it, they're in Calgary tomorrow. Where is Abbotsford? Because not knowing more about Suter, and we will, I suspect, know more about Suter here shortly, they could use a forward for tomorrow. And Abbotsford is in Henderson, Nevada, Vegas's farm team, on the weekend. I don't know if they would have left on this Wednesday or maybe Thursday as a travel day for an American Hockey League team going for a, a weekend set. Whatever the case, you can get bodies into Calgary. But it is going to be interesting here that all of a sudden the Canucks' depth is going to be tested. Rick Tockett had hinted after the morning skate here before the Islanders game that Akito Hiroshi didn't play, but he might get in and he may be required for the Vancouver game. They may need him. Uh, so he's here and he's around, but when Suter 
didn't play. Nils Hoaglander drew back into the lineup. Certainly looked like Nils Hoaglander was going to be the healthy scratch. He was skated hard after practice out at UBC on Tuesday. He took the morning skate. One of the few players that opted into the morning skate, but didn't look like he was going to play this morning. So that was a little bit of a change on the fly for the Vancouver Canucks. But again, you come back, all roads seem to lead back to the top of the lineup. And it really is remarkable the seasons that Quinn Hughes and JT Miller and Elias Patterson, one, two, three now, tied at the top of the NHL yeah. scoring derby, all of them with 26 points. Hughes and Miller each had three point nights, a goal and two helpers. Brock Besser also had a goal and two assists in this game. And Elias Pettersson had the a pass to JT Miller. And what a pass that was. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, so Pettersson had an point. He figured in the scoring, but you know, he has two points in his last three games. His production has slowed a little bit here. And JT Miller, for all that we've been talking about this year, I mean, it is remarkable that he's putting up the points while taking on the toughs on a nightly basis here. Now, you mentioned it. This was not territorially a particularly good night for JT Miller and his line getting that matchup against Horvat and Barzell. And in the first period, uh, I mean, just fed their lunch, the Miller line was. But, you know, if this was an off night, Guess what? It goes in the win column, and you turn the yeah. page, and you you try to be better in Calgary. Well, I was going to say, very gracious of J.T. Miller and Elias Pettersson to sort of cede the first period to Bo Horvat <laughs> and, and his line. And, of course, we will get to the very emotional welcome back for the Canucks' former captain. But, yeah, the Horvat line, or all lines against J.T. Miller, at the J.T. Miller-Besser-DiGiuseppe line, outshoot them Eight nothing in the first period. The Pedersen line was outshot nine six in the first period. And you know, going forward, Jeff, I do think you're going to need to see more of these, um, you know, better at even strength than what no we doubt. have seen. Phil DiGiuseppe was absolutely invisible tonight. It was a fantastic story in the early going for the Vancouver Canucks. I think you have to wonder: Is this guy now a little bit out of his depth, trying to hang in top six? in a top six position uh, approaching the quarter pole of the season here. So the damage is done on the power play by the Vancouver Canucks tonight and three-point nights, as you said, for Miller, Besser, and Hughes. At this stage of the game, Jeff, I think Quinn Hughes has to be the leading contender for the Hart Trophy as the league's most valuable player. I don't think there is a player out there who is – to use the terminology of that word, a judge more valuable to his team than what Quinn Hughes has been for the Vancouver Canucks, who, as you mentioned, now lead the Western Conference tied with Vegas. In fact, identical 12-3-1 records. And again, astonishing that the Canucks could get there given what Vegas had done in the early part of the season and as the defending Stanley Cup champions. I know this is an overtime game, but Quinn Hughes plays 29 minutes and 24 seconds, has six shots on goal with the game winner and a three-point night, and he leads defensive categories across the league. So if you're looking for your league MVP this early on, and of course many, many games to play, it's number 43 for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I saw Craig Button on TSN banging that drum, so there is some chatter at the National level. And you're right. I mean, all of this talk around him, and it just feels like outside of perhaps the game in Toronto on Saturday, which is a little unfortunate on the big stage, he has just been electric almost every single 
night out. And as I said, there was just no doubter. He gets the breakaway and basically started to write, you know, final score right there as he cruised in and, and beat Sorokin. Just the confidence with the, that shot right now. And, you know, for me, yeah, six shots on goal and he scores on one of them. 13 more shot attempts, Matt. This guy is just firing the puck at a rate that we certainly haven't seen from him. And he talked about wanting to shoot more and change the angles and all those types of things. He is creating so many shooting opportunities for himself and 13 more shot attempts. Uh, you look at Elias Pettersson on the night. Uh, he had eight shot attempts. Philip Hronik had eight. JT Miller with eight. I mean, these are the guys, obviously, that want shooting the puck. And a lot of those on the power play, although it is funny that uh, for the amount of power play time they had and the power play success they had, uh, registered just seven power play shots on goal. And, of course, they cut three of the power plays short with the goals that they scored. You know, the one power play, or one of the few power plays they didn't score, late second period, Anders Lee chops the stick of Dakota Joshua. It's a 3-2 hockey game at that point. Canucks with a chance to tie the game going into the second intermission. They were absolutely buzzing on that power play. Chance after chance after chance, and they didn't score, but they did get it right ultimately. And on the night, Miller, the cross-seam pass from Patterson in the wheelhouse, and he makes no mistake. And then Miller, and I kind of joked on Twitter that it was uh, Besser's ode to Bo Horvat in the bumper spot, but just a sublime saucer pass, just dripping with sauce onto the stick of Besser into the back of the net. And, you know, JT Miller's done an awful lot here, 99 points a couple of years ago. I, I still think there are times that he doesn't get credit for being the playmaker that he is. That he, you know, there's just so many things that he can do when he's on top of his game. But, I mean, that was that was top-tier material. Well, cross-ice passes, I think, were somewhat the story of this game, Jeff, because not only the ones that you mentioned for the Vancouver Canucks that lead to goals, but also the two from the New York Islanders in the first period. The Canucks, as we know, gave up the cross-ice pass willy-nilly last year with yeah. one of the league's all-time worst penalty kills. Uh, they had done a much better job this year. You do wonder whether that was the Carson Soucy effect being felt in that first period with those Islanders' power play goals and not being able to handle that cross-ice pass. Back on Hughes for a second. Subtle place and one that doesn't get him on the score sheet, but he keeps the zone on the Miller power play goal to make it 2-1. There's a very good opportunity for the Islanders to clear the zone, and Hughes, Hughes prevents that. He then prevents the zone from being cleared on the Besser power play goal and gets an assist there. Although, you know, we're giving him all this credit. We should also note he's guilty. He's culpable on the turnover on the Bo Horvat goal. So mm -hmm. not a perfect nope. night for no, Quinn no. Hughes. But really good, again, from the Vancouver Canucks captain. It was a night for atonement. Ian Cole with the two early penalties. But then, as you said, scoops what could have been the game winner off the line. And Quinn Hughes, I mean, you have the puck on your stick as much as he does. You're going to turn it over on occasion. That was pretty glaring because uh, it's a play that he makes in his sleep most of the time, just getting it out of the zone. It didn't. And then it wound up in the back of the net. And Bo Horvat looked pretty pleased with himself. And why wouldn't he be to score... Remember Ryan Kessler scored in his return to Rogers Arena after he had been dealt away. And so uh, the old captain, he comes back and it looked like a big goal because it extended their lead to 3-1 to one when the Canucks had a little bit of life with that first power play goal of the night. 
I haven't heard from Bo. We'll see if we can uh, find some post-game audio, but I doubt he'll call it the biggest goal that he's Un- scored in that building. Unian call for a second. That I mean, clearing the, the line has to feel good because this team is not good enough or deep enough on defense that Ian Cole can play like he did in the first period and be successful with Carson Soucy already out of the lineup. I mean, when you're looking at the first period and you're looking at the storyline of a 2-0 Islanders lead, you're looking at the storyline of, okay, Soucy's out, Cole's needed even more, isn't up to the task, Vancouver Canucks may have an issue on their hands here, and they may still yet, Jeff. Sure. yeah. Uh, we'll see where this goes, and we'll see particularly you know, what Friedman's status is. I uh, know he came back into the game, but I, I do wonder whether there'll be more medical assessment there because he looked like he hit his head awfully hard against the glass on that clutterbuck hit. So Cole is going to have to be, has been a stabilizing force for the Canucks on defense this year, has to continue being that and even more acutely in the absence of Carson Soucy. Yeah, it's uh, the hooking call on Horvat that leads to the first power play goal and then had time and the puck just kind of flew on him, but still no duress really. And you just got to make that play and up over the glass it goes. And that led to the 2 nothing power play goal. And so an early hole in Cole and penalty box for both of those. But the Canucks power play ultimately on the night bails the hockey club out here because Matt, and, and you mentioned it, they do have to be better at five on five. And it's a long season, and the power play looks like it's going to be an absolute weapon for this team. It already has been, but there's going to be nights where the power play doesn't come through for you. Or you run into, look, there are some teams out there that are good penalty-killing teams. This is the second time in three nights in Toronto they didn't score a five on five goal. Both of their goals came on the power play that night. And here against the Islanders, three power play goals and then three on three overtime. It's kind of funny. The other New York team that came through this building a couple of weeks back beat the Canucks 4-3 in overtime with three power play goals and then a three-on-three overtime winner as well. That night, Keandre Miller was the guy that pulled the trigger in OT. So uh, there's lots of different ways to win hockey games. And again, you go as far as your star power. And right now, uh, there isn't a team in the league. There is not a team in the league that can boast the star power producing at the level and the rate that the Vancouver Canucks top end is. And so, uh, yeah, it, it bears repeating. I don't know if it'll last, but for this night and heading into the game in Calgary, the Canucks have the top three scorers yeah. in the National Hockey League. It, I mean, it really is wild stuff. The other thing we should note here, penalty killing, Jeff, you, you go into the night 18th in the league, you give up a couple of more. Mm-hmm. I think it's only going to get more difficult with Carson Soucy out. There's plenty of innuendo out there about the Vancouver Canucks hunting a defenseman. You wonder whether the urgency in acquiring that defenseman that you were already looking for has only gone up after the Susie injury and after watching your penalty kill tonight. Was it the one successful penalty kill? How many? No, the Islanders went two for two. It was good discipline on the Canucks part. They only took the two penalties, and one of them was the the puck over the glass. So if you're trying to find some sort of silver lining on that front, discipline was good, but the actual penalty kills, no. The Canucks did not successfully kill a penalty in this hockey game. So a little bit of a concern there. And you're right. I think that is an area that Susie is sort of understated, just the big size, the reach, disruptive in that regard. Uh, And I think that's an area that they are going to miss him. Well, that's his game, right? Like he's a big space-eating defenseman. He's not particularly a puck transporter. He's not a great zone exit guy or anything like that. But put him in that spot 
where he has to defend an area and defend the goal mouth. That's where he has been at his best for the Vancouver Canucks. That's where he has been at his best as a National Hockey Leaguer to date. Lots still ahead here. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. We've got our three stars, and we'll compare those to the three stars that were selected in the building. There are lots of options on, on a night like this one. We'll get to the staff that stands out as well, and I think I've come up with a pretty good one on this night. Again, this game offers up a fair bit of material in that regard. We will dive more into the whole Bo Horvat and his return, and we're going to get into the locker room as well. But before we go any further here, let's get to our Betway bet of the day. Well, Jeff... Thursday, Canucks, of course, in Calgary, they could feasibly take the lead in the Western Conference by their own with a victory and with something less than that from the Vegas Golden Knights in Montreal. The Habs are 2.60 to beat the champs Thursday on home ice on your Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Vancouver Canucks have picked up a point. In every game that they've played at Rogers Arena, and just the one point squandered, and that was to the New York Rangers, and that's out of conference. So really, in the end, the Canucks would have loved the extra point that night, but the single point going to the Rangers isn't going to hurt them. So the Canucks are 6-0-1 on home ice, and as we mentioned right off the top, they have won seven of their last eight that game in Toronto, standing alone as their lone outright loss in the last couple of weeks. It's been a remarkable start to the season for a 12-3-1 hockey club that will move into Calgary on Thursday night, then at home to the Seattle Kraken on Saturday at Rogers Arena. We're getting inside the locker room. You're going to hear from the head coach. You're going to hear from Quinn Hughes as well. And more on Bo Horvat's return to Vancouver as we carry on here. The Vancouver Canucks defeating the New York Islanders by a score of 4-3. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Breaking down a 4-3 victory for the Vancouver Canucks over the New York Islanders. Entertaining night at Rogers Arena on Diwali night. Uh, shout to Juggy, of course, right off the top, first of our, our man. Uh, you guys have had him on Scarlet Surprise. We've had him on Rinkwide. Yep. Just does such a good job with the anthems. Sort of set the tone there. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make mention of him. And uh, credit to the Canucks, uh, first of their many theme nights. Uh, it was Diwali night and a good energy in the building. And lots of energy at the end when the Canucks win it in overtime. Let's hear from uh, Quinn Hughes in a moment. But first, the head coach, Rick Tockett, just talking about his team being a resilient bunch. Yeah, I mean, you got to commend the guys' resiliency. Um, some big goals. You know, um, thought maybe the, the, the come back from the road trip were a little sloppy early. Uh, some guys, though, the third line and the, some parts of the fourth line kind of got us back in the game. Um, but for overall, you know, obviously the power play was was big. Um, so, yeah, they the resiliency of the team. It's a, it's a nice win. Take them. Yeah, interesting to hear him talk about uh, a little worried about coming back off of the road trip. We, uh, I mean, that's dogged this franchise for its existence, that first game back after an Eastern trip. And, yeah, I mean, you don't want to start in a 2 nothing hole, but he liked the, the third and fourth lines that kind of, you know, provided that spark that you're looking for. As Energy. did I, Jeff. Glad we're finally getting to them because <laughs> I believe they, they don't get on the score sheet here. Frank, I thought the Lafferty line in the first period was their best line. Well, Teddy Bluger had five shots himself and had some opportunities. So Bluger was as offensive as we have seen him as a Vancouver Canuck. They draw three penalties, the third line. Connor Garland draws one. Right. Dakota Joshua draws two. 
So I, I thought this was a night where the bottom six get left out of the headlines because we're talking about, you know, more multi-point nights for some of these great Vancouver Canucks stars. But I thought they were a big part of the equation this evening in terms of, well, early on keeping the Canucks competitive when, as we talked about, the top two lines were doing absolutely nothing at even strength. And then getting the Islanders to take penalties, which ultimately led to some power play goals. And Quinn Hughes, uh, we documented the numbers for him, the ice time and everything else. Uh, Rick Tockett running out of things to basically describe his captain, but uh, he's going to get asked about him an awful lot, uh, not just here in Vancouver, but when they take their show out on the road, as they will Thursday into Calgary. Uh, here was Tockett uh, on another huge night for Quinn Hughes. 30 minutes, like, it's, it's you know, a lot of power play. Like, I mean, what, what do we have, five powers of five power plays? Uh, we had tonight, I can't remember, five or six. So that's, you know, that's 12 minutes, um, and they had possession a lot. So, you know, they're, you know, just, I don't know what he had, 10 minutes of power play time. So it, it's not a, I mean, listen, it's hard, but it's not a grinding. I, I you know, I, I don't really want him to play 30 minutes if it's not a lot of power plays. It's a lot of grinding. We, gotta, we do have to manage his minutes, though. This is a, a marathon, not a sprint. But tonight, I mean, it's a play, you know, you can't take the guy off the ice. I mean, you, you got to put him on the power play. So, and you know, you saw him out there. He's got some lungs. I mean, look at the look at the overtime goal. You know, got some lungs on him, Matt. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. He, he, he can't take him off the ice. <laughs> and I I do think that's a great answer because I think that get, takes you a little bit into the mind of Rick talking and Adam Foot, and that they just can't help themselves. That they understand they have a virtuoso on that bench, and. Uh, they, they're just so much better with him on the ice. You know, they get him out there, and he's right about the power play minutes, and of course this is an overtime game as well. But to me, Jeff, this will be something to monitor in the absence of Carson Soucy, is how much do they lean on Hughes and, to a lesser degree, Ronick? Right, and overtime and losing players and big minutes for your stars, yes, two points, two more points in the basket, but that's a big ask now, back-to-back and... By the time Seattle's here on Saturday, that's three and four. So you're right; these are all things to keep in mind. Uh, Very just, busy stretch of the schedule. It is. It's a compressed portion here, but these are winnable games, and they get two against the Islanders, and we'll see what they can do against the Flames. Uh, just to break down Quinn Hughes's ice time: twenty nine shifts on the night, an average of one minute per shift, eight twenty one of power play time, only forty four seconds shorthanded. We talked about the fact they didn't take any penalties after the first period, so. He wasn't taxed in the shorthanded part of the game, 20 minutes and 19 seconds at even strength. Uh, here was Quinn Hughes after the game. He was asked about his overtime winner. Yeah, I mean, I was telling TNT and those guys over there that they were asking if it was a set play, and I think for us, I was telling them, I, you know, we have a lot of good players, and we think, um, you know, on our feet, and we've played for five, six years together, so I think we know what we're thinking, and Millsy just saw me, made a great pass, and... And right off the top there, TNT, this was being shown nationally. It was the late start. Uh, he got the post-game walk-off interview with the American broadcaster there. So that's what he was referencing when he talked about TNT. Yeah, well, he is uh, an American player, though he did grow up in Canada. And I can only imagine that uh, he is going to get more and more shine. Yeah from American media, particularly if we're moving to a best-on-best international tournament at any time in the near future here, Jeff. And if that's a set play, hats off to them because you don't tend to see set plays work 
with that degree of ease in this sport. It was beautiful. It almost didn't happen because five seconds into overtime, right off the opening faceoff, Miller and Besser with a two-on-one, and JT elected to hold on their shot. Uh, didn't score, but then sends Quinn Hughes in all alone. We've talked about it, uh, and it really was one of the big storylines of this game is the Canucks power play that goes three for six officially, scoring three times on its seven power play shots. And Quinn Hughes, not surprised that this power play is such a weapon for this hockey club because the component parts have been doing this together for a bunch of years now. I'm not just because we've been playing together for so long and we can really read off each other. I mean, I really know what... Millsy and Brock and Petey and some of these guys are thinking about when they get the puck, and then a lot of times the skill and creativity takes over, and I love that too. And I think a lot of teams or a lot of people point to you know the success of the Washington Capitals. Yeah, they've got Ovi, but they've had their top unit power play together for a whole bunch of years. Same goes for the Tampa Lightning, and there is something to be said here that even though the Canucks star guys uh, may not have been in the league all that long, uh, by the way, this was game 299 for Quinn Hughes, so he'll hit the 300 mark on Thursday in Calgary. But those star players have been together running the power play here, and they know what they're doing. They don't mess around. This power yeah. play uh, absolutely is going to win. It already has, but it's going to win them a bunch more hockey games. And I year. wonder if that has played a role in the um, fact that we're seeing more movement there from the principal parts of this power play instituted over the course of the summer and in preseason. And you have to hand it to Brock Besser here. We were talking in the preseason, Jeff, about, okay, will they be as effective on the power play? Horvat scored all those goals from the bumper spot in the first half of last year. It has been a seamless replacement and transition to Brock Besser, who, as we've noted, is tied for the league leading goals. So, you know, amazing stuff going on on the Vancouver Canucks power play. And quite frankly, rightfully so given the amount of talent they're able to throw out. Yeah, and we talked about the saucer pass to Besser. Again, the finish, though, like, there have been a number now. Like, I'm almost on to my second hand in terms of counting the, you know, Brock Besser goals, the ones that he used to score as a rookie, like snipe shows where the puck is on his stick and in the back of the net, and this was another one. He made no mistake. So he's off to an incredible start, 13 already for a guy that 30 is the big round number that we've been talking about for a while. He's going to be at 20 here up before too long, the way that he's going. And so. Jeff, six on the power play. He's already tied last year's mark. That's incredible. We should mention Rick Tockett said, Pius Suter day-to-day, and that's all he said, but he didn't know if he was going to be available for the game in Calgary. And the report, nobody seemed to know an awful lot about Andre Kuzmenko, but JT Miller did say that he saw him smiling in the locker room. Uh, maybe big, it's a smiley guy, big swollen smile, whatever the case. So, uh, yeah, it may be until uh, closer to game time Thursday to have a better sense of who's going to be available to Rick Tockett so, in the Vancouver Canucks. Which begs the question, Jeff, is this Archdeep Baines and his National Hockey League debut for the undrafted kid from Surrey, who at one point this season was leading the American Hockey League in scoring? He may still be. I haven't checked recently. Yeah, I mean, Jack Stanika just got sent down. Right. And obviously has more NHL chops, but you're right, there's a fan base here that is sort of foaming to to see Archdeep Baines get his opportunity. So, yeah. And you have the centers, right? Yep. Like, you, it's it, it's not like you specifically need a center nope. for Pew Suter. You played Lafferty down the middle tonight. You have Bluger who's able to play down the middle. If I can get to one of the comments here on our rink-wide post, 
your impressions of the game. This is Nuckin' Foots, who says they didn't quit. They had some defensive issues. They lost Koozie. They didn't quit. That's talking hockey nice to see. Uh, but one listener was wondering what that loss of Kuzmenko is going to mean for the top six. Now, I don't know if you call up Baines, you put him immediately into the top six. That would be quite, you know, that'd be some real estate for a kid playing his first National Hockey League game. But you tell me, Jeff, what do you think? Are we looking at Garland moving into the top six on the Pedersen line if Kuzmenko can't go? And even if we are talking about that, then, uh, yeah, there's opportunity for a winger like Baines. You don't have to call up a centerman here. Yeah, to the first point, I think uh, if Niels Hoaglander had a little bit more consistency, and he's been good, he'd been better than five, but he's, you know, he had that opportunity in training camp to play with Patterson. It didn't really happen for him. I think the way Garland has been going as a reward, I could see him getting that bump up to align with Elias Patterson. As for Abbotsford, and this is the beauty of having your farm team that gives you some options. We've talked about Archie Baines. He leads the Abbotsford Canucks with 17 points. Neil Zalman wants to be back in the National Hockey League, was here for most of last season. He's off to a nice start, seven goals and, and 14 points. Sheldon Dries certainly has NHL games on his resume. And of course, you wish that this was an opportunity for Vasily Podkolzin, but he's been banged up and I I just don't think that it's going to happen at this stage for Vasily Podkolzin. So we'll see what happens in the light of day here. But the Vancouver Canucks had enough in their lineup, even with the loss of some players before the game and during the game, to get past the New York Islanders by a score of 4-3. to three. As we break things down, let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection from this hockey game. The three-star selected in the building, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, and the Coquitlam kid, Matt Barzell, who did have two assists. He was in on two of the three Islander goals. He had the chance that we referenced in the third period as well, but awfully quiet. Jeff. I don't know if you're picking an Islander. It kind of Boy. felt like there was one on a platter there for you. Well, Whether he wanted to come out for a twirl after a, a loss, uh, I still kind of would have thought that uh, Bo Horvat would have got the nod in the building. They went with Barzell. As I the, thought Barzell was very quiet outside of the uh, two assists, and frankly, there were three Vancouver Canucks with three point nights. I'm not sure this was a night where you had to give one. To the visiting team. Very generous in the building, I thought, to the Islanders. Well, I, I'm going to stick with the script from the rink. Quinn Hughes, a winner and two helpers, uh, 29 minutes and 24 seconds. Quinn Hughes is uh, the rink-wide Vancouver first star, and I've got JT Miller as the second star. And then you're right, Brock Besser with his three points. He certainly deserves some consideration. I Both had... goaltenders were really good in this game, too. I, I, I'm not sure we've mentioned Thatcher Demko well, or Elias Sorokin, but both of them made saves here. I'm going to throw Horvat a bone. There's no cash prize to go along with being the third star in the uh, rink-wide selection, but uh, his trip back, that storyline is done. We'll talk more about him uh, coming up here in a sec, but I'll go with Horvat. He scored a nice goal, uh, drew the penalty that led to the power play, played uh, a bunch, and uh, I'm sure he's glad to have this one over. Uh, But you're right. Let's take a second here. And, you know, the Canucks fell behind 2-0. It's the second time it's happened. It's the first time it's happened on home ice. They lost 2-0 in Philadelphia. And one of the reasons that they haven't fallen behind is because Thatcher Demko has been all-world. And that stop that he makes off Oliver Wallstrom in the first couple of minutes was incredible. It was incredible in real time. And then you see the replays, 
does the splits moving left to right and flashes that right pad out there. He's already made a couple of highlight reel saves this season, and that one is right up there with anything uh, that he has served up. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. And then the you know the the turnover and scrambling back to the neck, the yep. net le- uh, legs apart to make a save. Uh, Sorokin had a great glove save. I think it was on Hughes. So no, yeah, these are two of the best goaltenders in the yep. world. There were an awful lot of shots tonight here. We got this deep into the show without mentioning goaltending, nope, and we call. we probably should have because of the efforts of Thatcher Demko, who winds up making 30 saves on 33 shots tonight, and Ilya Sorokin, who faces an absolute barrage from the Vancouver Canucks, 43 shots on goal for Vancouver tonight, and he makes 39 saves. Canucks win it by a score of 4-3 in overtime. We're into Calgary on Thursday. This is Rink-Wide Vancouver. You look at the box score on a night like this one in that second period, goals by J.T. Miller, Bo Horvat, and Brock Besser, and there were lots of periods over the last few years where, uh, you know, you would have seen something like that. Of course, uh, Horvat doesn't play here anymore, but uh, that was really the big storyline coming back to Vancouver for the first time. Remember, Anthony Bovillier got dealt and had to go right back to the island right after the All-Star break, so Bovillier has been there and done that. Horvat's return to Vancouver had to wait until this season. And so Bo did the media thing. It was an off day for the Islanders uh, in our city on Tuesday. He said he walked the streets and brought back a lot of memories and was a little strange. Uh, Met the media after the morning skate. Seemed to be in pretty good spirits. And then uh, out there for the opening faceoff against JT Miller. So Lane Lambert with a a sense of occasion. Puts Horvat out there for the opening faceoff. First couple of touches of the puck, there were a smattering of boos. Uh, I think we thought there might be, but it certainly wasn't overwhelming. It was a small percentage of the the paying customers. And then at the first TV timeout, uh, they did uh, what they do for most of those uh, big name returnees. And uh, he got his moment on the Jumbotron. And uh, certainly you, you saw, I mean, he parked himself off to the side boards just uh, at the end of the Islanders bench and looked up and, and watched the video tribute. And as it played in the building, there was sort of this groundswell of uh, an ovation that led to a standing O and ultimately uh, some emotion on the part of Bo Horvat. I heard Elliot Friedman say earlier in the week that he thought Bo Horvat was quite nervous about this game. And I thought that was a very astute comment because Jeff, he was asked about this last week in New York. Like, the getting ahead of this story started early for Bo Horvat. It continued through this week. He said his piece with regards to the -the off-the-cuff comment inside the building at UBS Arena about how it beats Vancouver and telling you that for free. And, of course, a lot of people were off-put by that in this market, of course, what did he have to compare it to in this market? They were in a playoff push, which yeah. just did not happen here. And the one time it did, of course, it was in the bubble, not in Rogers Arena, although I guess you could count his rookie year way back when with Willie Desjardins. When he started getting misty in the warm-up, Jeff, I think you got a sense that some emotion was going to come. Uh, he seemed like he made an effort to throw some pucks over the glass and high-five some fans on his way down the tunnel and back into the Islanders dressing room. 
And then, you know, you say he parked himself and he, you know, looked up and watched. There were times in the video where he could not watch. He is biting his mouth guard. The lips are pursed. He is grimacing. You can tell he is fighting back the emotion. I think the linesman comes up to him and basically asks if he needs a minute before the puck gets dropped. In that respect, it sort of reminded me of Matt Sundin as a Vancouver Canuck going back to Toronto and getting incredibly emotional in that face-off circle and the linesman sort of making sure to uh, drop the puck. Oh, oops, I lost the puck. I'm going to have to go collect it in the corner. Matt's have a minute. So, I mean, there are very few occasions where I can remember an NHL player in-game getting that sort of emotionally touched by the reception he was getting from the fans and great on the fans for doing that. As we had said this week on Sakaris and Bryce, you know, Bo Horvat did not fail the Vancouver Canucks. He gave you his everything on the ice, off the ice. The Vancouver Canucks failed Bo Horvat for the better part of nine seasons. And, you know, I understand the NHL is tribal and he's in different laundry now and that makes him the enemy tonight. And sure, if you want to go ahead and boo him, when he touches the puck, but that's the moment that I think he'll take away from his return to Vancouver. And I thought it was appropriate because he did everything in his power to make the Canucks a better organization and to make this community a better city. An eventful night for him. He played 22 minutes and 16 seconds. He scored the three, one goal, his first goal since October the 30th in Detroit. He missed a game in there, but it had been a little while since he scored his fifth goal of the season. Nice uh, give and go with Matt Barzell and again, it looked like a big goal at the time. The Canucks had some life. They'd cut the lead. They were on the board, and that made it 3-1 to one after the Quinn Hughes giveaway. Uh, Horvat was on the ice for five of the seven goals that were scored in this game, including the overtime winner. And there were some people that have pointed out that Quinn was probably his guy as uh, yeah. he went right up the gut there. So, uh, you know, blink of an eye, and Quinn Hughes is off to the races there. Uh, for Bo Horvat, three shots on goal, six attempts. Not a great night in the faceoff circle. JT Miller schooled him there. He won 10 of 28, so just 36% on the draw for Bo Horvat. His team gets a single point, but they've lost six in a row now. So, and seven of eight. So, this is a team that uh, did make the playoffs last year, bowed out in the first round, and has built itself or dug itself uh, quite a hole this time around. Bo Horvat's first full season with the New York Islanders. They didn't do a whole lot in the offseason to improve no. themselves, Jeff, and they're not a particularly potent offensive club. And as we know, Lou Lamorello hockey is not really about that. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, Ilya Sorokin, who you could argue is one of the three, four, or five best goaltenders in the world, just hasn't been that this year. The numbers just aren't there. He, I thought he was good tonight, yeah, but he wasn't great. To, no. You know, like he needed to be spectacular tonight. Uh, and even on a night where they score three. Yep, three wins and ten starts for him. So, uh, But you're right, it's a, it's an odd collection of players, uh, so many veteran guys, and you know, Matt Martin is still playing that fourth line that's been together forever with Clutterbuck and, and Casey Sezikis. And we mentioned Clutterbuck, and we talked about the hit on Mark Friedman, but really that invited the Canucks back into this game. They're down to nothing at the time, and Cal Clutterbuck, who has been running around the NHL for a long time, he gets called there and put the Canucks in the power play, and that was the JT Miller goal that kind of got them uh, going on this night. So, yeah, I I don't know where it goes from here for the New York Islanders. The Canucks will see the Islanders uh, on a long January road trip uh, to complete the regular season series.
Let's get to our stat that stands out from this hockey game. And we've talked a lot about the power play that goes three for six here tonight. Matt, the Canucks have played 16 games this season. This is the fourth time already that they have scored three or more. They cashed in four times in San Jose in that 10-1 romp. But twice, the two home games against the Oilers, they scored three times. And here tonight, three more power play goals on the season. These are the updated statistics. The Vancouver Canucks are 21 for 63. That is one of every three power play opportunities they have scored. The only team that has actually put the puck in the net more on the power play is the New Jersey Devils. They've done it 22 times, and the Canucks now with 21 power play goals. The next highest total in the league? Would surprise. The Arizona Coyotes with 17. So the Devils and the Canucks sort of separating themselves from the pack in terms of raw power play goal score. But the Canucks are scoring one of every three right now with the man advantage. The moral of this story is get a Hughes brother on your team. Something like that, yes. Or be the Arizona Coyotes. That's the other option. No, I don't know that any I, I'm not sure they have the lasting <laughs> power for bronze here, Jeff. Fair enough. Just a guess. Fair enough. But that, to me, is a stat that stands out that once every four games, this team is scoring three or more power play goals, but they're scoring at an outrageous rate, and it's not likely to stand up, but we saw the Edmonton Oilers basically run at that rate all of last season, so it can be done. Will it be done by the Vancouver Canucks? Probably not, but uh, boy, uh, right now I think teams are realizing that uh, if you take penalties against the Canucks, pretty good chance that you will pay. Let's finish up just repeating some of the things that we had right off the top because they do bear repeating. The Vancouver Canucks will sleep on the Western Conference lead, tied with Vegas, but the tiebreaker is regulation wins, and this is the first time the Canucks go beyond regulation to win, so 11 of their 12 victories have been regulation. They are 12-3-1 on the season. They've won back-to-back now after the win in Montreal, 7-8, of eight. And they are 6-0-1 on home ice. And they've got the three highest scorers in the National Hockey League in Miller, Pedersen, and Hughes. And they also have one of the league's leading goal scorers in Brock Besser, who is up to 13 now, just 16 games into this season. It truly is heady, heady stuff. And we'll see where it goes from here. But they have 25 points already amassed on the season. They're a quarter of the way to a 100-point season, 16 games in. And they're nine games above NHL 500. Well, and also extraordinary because Vegas won their first seven games outright, and they started the season with points in 12 straight games, winning 11 of them. There were a lot of people, I think, who thought the Vegas Golden Knights were just gone in the Pacific yeah. Division. And, were, you know, I've heard even heard it talked about, oh, you know, we're going to spend the rest of the year, you know, looking forward to a Kings-Canucks right. <laughs> first round playoff series with those two teams quote unquote locked in to second and third in the Pacific division. Well, you know, maybe some of that talk got back to the Vancouver Canucks. They said, wait a second, we're going to still play for first and both teams in action tomorrow, Jeff. So we'll get another barometer 24 hours from now. Yeah. The Canucks are in Calgary and we of course will be back after that one with another edition of rink wide Vancouver. And then the Seattle Kraken come calling the Canucks have a, Road trip coming up that's going to take them through the U.S. Thanksgiving where they go to San Jose, they go to Seattle, they go to Colorado. And then on the 30th of this month, they will match up with the Vegas Golden Knights. So it'll be fascinating to see where those two teams are in two weeks' time and wouldn't be something if that was for outright top spot in the division or the conference. 
as the calendar turns to December. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but uh, this Vancouver Canucks story uh, just continues to be a remarkable one after a 4-3 overtime victory over the New York Islanders to improve to 12-3-1 and on the season. For Matt, it's Jeff. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. And we will be back after the Canucks and the Flames on Thursday from the Saddle Dome. This is Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.